Welcome to the Wild Truth Chase podcast. My name is Nick Schaefer. I'm here with my co-host, Neeraj Shah. Neeraj, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Nicholas. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm looking forward to this episode. This is uh, season three, episode two, which we're calling Funny Business. It's our second episode in the season on humor. And before we go into that, there was one preliminary item, which does not bode well for my own personal funny business. The question was, how many people understood? I don't know if people remember my joke from the last episode. I'll just I'll just say it again. What did Batman say when he saw the Joker's new hideout? Spectacular. So, spectacular. Yeah, that's right. People didn't understand it on first telling, which is not a good sign. I've got to say it's a little bit deflating. But Nick, what I've heard is that you might be able to help me improve my comedy skills with today's episode. The, the title of the episode is Funny Business. And we're going to talk a little bit about both advice that people give in order to give your best effort in succeeding in comedy and also a little bit about you know what are the fruits uh, that can be enjoyed if you do manage to succeed in comedy. You'll be happy to know that embracing failure is going to be a very important part of uh, <laughs> learning how to succeed in comedy. Well, I've already done a bit of that. I have been diving into the various resources uh, on comedy and humor and for this episode, I have really three main sources that I'm drawing from. I watched two different masterclasses, one uh, by Steve Martin and one by Judd Apatow, both of which are famous comedians here in the US. And then I did continue my reading in uh, a book called The Comic Toolbox, chapters one and two. You know, what we're going to be talking about today is like a synthesis of the things that I learned reading those uh, sources related to kind of how do you get off the ground how do you organize your life such that you, um, you know, might have a chance to, to succeed in, in comedy? And I think one common theme that I realized is that, you know, these books and and classes are being presented to people who want to make comedy, you know, as their line of business. What's common is that they're attempting to demystify the process around comedy creation. One of the key aspects of com of good comedy is that it appears to be spontaneous. You know, similar to many other art forms, the trick is in disguising exactly how much hard work went into generating it. But here, in telling you how to do comedy, they have to do the opposite, which is try to demystify the process and just describe the steps. You know, so I was thinking of an analogy to to cooking. Right, if you see like a a very well cooked meal, you might think, "Wow, that's incredible." You know, but if you watched a, you know, I'm just imagining this now, like a cooking masterclass, you know, they would show you, okay, first you have to choose the ingredients, then you have to chop up the ingredients, and then you have to cook the ingredients, right? At the end, you still get the same result, which is this, you know, hopefully incredibly a well-cooked meal. But in seeing this process, you can tell that, you know, oh, this is something I might actually be able to do. So this is a bit reassuring for me because... I did also write a joke for today's episode, and it really took me quite a long time to put it together. And I was I was basically testing different jokes with different people to see if they landed, because the last experience was pretty chastening. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was yeah. This it it did make me feel better um, just looking at your notes and realizing there's a lot that goes into it, even though the end result might look a uh, the end result might look a lot more easily delivered. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. That that's that's essentially an illusion. That's sort of the bottom line here. These various sources they they start out with kind of like what we're trying to get to is like the the laugh line or you know the the punchline of the joke, right? But they start much further back than that and and talk about like how can you organize your life such that you'll have more comic material and be more likely to succeed. Here, there's a lot of emphasis on just trying new things. It's fresh and that you have a chance of encountering new things. And that's going to kind of give you uh, the raw material that you need to put together comedy. So actually, this some of this definitely rings rings true to me. You know, in, in all of these things, some of these things are quite relative. So, you know, relative to, to people in the UK, I've had some unusual experiences with living in other countries and um, especially some of the countries I have lived in, uh, in the Middle East and such. I've definitely come across situations in those countries where when I've retold that story in the UK, it, it seemed quite amusing and just bizarre and it feels very alien and it's still very, you know, it, it actually happened. So I, that definitely does ring true to me, that sort of um, experience different things and uh, collect those experiences because a lot of them will be funny to someone, I think. And so after you've sort of like brought in your horizon, started collecting material, potential material from a lot of different sources, you know, what else can you do? Another common theme was that find people to engage with that that love talking about comedy. You know, there was a suggestion to find your best friend, find your smartest friend, right? And which is great because like, for me, unfortunately, those people weren't available, but at least you are here uh, to, uh, you know. Okay, so so I have to admit that like that that was my attempt at writing a joke for this week. Oh, that know. was a good. That was good. That was good, Nick. Yeah, I like that. I tried to sneak it in there uh, <laughs> and not 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 write the punchline in our notes, but uh, I, a modest success. Another thing that struck me, kind of about a lot of the advice that was you know being given, was that uh, it's not really particular to comedy. Uh, there was a lot of just kind of generally good life advice, which leads me to believe that. You know, if you want to become very, very good at anything, essentially, there are common things that you should apply. Um, so in particular, you know, they mentioned show up to interviews on time. And when you're at the interview, seem enthusiastic about it. And as somebody who spent a lot of time trying to hire people, I this really resonated with me. They, they also talked about how uh, if you're pitching, which is a kind of like interview that's particular to comedy, that, you know, brevity is key. And what I took that to mean is that you should respect people's time. Right. And that, that's another just kind of very good general piece of advice uh, that I found in here. Yeah, the, the brevity is key is one that I totally agree with. Um, I always like to see how well I can communicate in uh, with time restrictions. I, I don't find that. Well, it is a little bit stressful, but I also find it as a challenge that you're really trying to communicate what, what's important in that limited amount of time. So and yeah, exa exactly as you say, you respect the, the audience and the people who are listening to you. So that one definitely feels true to me. And and but when I think about comedy, I'm just th I'm just thinking about the the times that people have been receptive to the jokes I've made, which is uh I would say again a modest success on occasion. And I think there's so something that you've written down in the notes is like finding your voice, finding your way of telling telling jokes. And I guess there's the there's the way of delivery and I think some of that is what you say and then body language especially if you're there in person and and those sorts of things. So what did you find about uh finding your voice as a comedian? What stuck out to me here is that you know finding your voice is an important kind of separate element to building uh a career as a comedian because you might think that um well I just have to chase the things that are funny, right? Whatever's funny, I'll do it uh 
and you know I'll, I'll go wherever the funny is. But I think that what what's being communicated here is that um, there's something to you know establishing a consistent tone for yourself and finding what's true to yourself because you know single jokes aren't going to make the career of a comedian. It's a body of work uh, that's going to make the career of a comedian. And if you're being sort of totally erratic in the comedy that you produce, then some of it will be appealing to some people and not others. And people won't kind of know to go to look for you, right? If you say that, oh, there's a new Will Ferrell movie out, you kind of already know something about it, right? If you've seen any Will Ferrell movies. And there are some people who that's all they need to know is that it's a Will Ferrell movie and they're they're going to go buy a ticket. So I think that that's what I took uh, from it. And, you know, Steve Martin made the point that this involves making some decisions, you know, for him, it's like, do you want your comedy to have a moral element or not? And uh, do you want to be politically correct or not? Making those decisions and sticking to them, you know, maybe not dogmatically, but, you know, tending to stick through them and establishing a consistent tone was something that they found to be very important. I, I guess this is like building a brand in that people exactly. know what to expect. And you mentioned Will Ferrell. I think Adam Sandler does this quite successfully as well. I know some people look down on his work, but I think he's been very successful in the sorts of people know what to expect and people do tend to buy into it. Oh, there's a, a definitely a part of the population that buy into that. Um, so that that is interesting, actually. So this really is a lot more like business. So, you know, after these kind of initial uh, pieces of advice about how to organize your life um, so that you gain more rich experiences and learn new things, and also, you know, you start to hone your voice. They, they mentioned one other critical aspect, which is you really have to embrace failure. Um, the comic toolbooks refers to this as the will to risk. And the idea is that nine times out of 10, if you try to write a joke, it's going to be terrible. And that's a process you just have to go through. I think that, again, like there's the perception that, you know, the successful comedians are the people who uh, write good jokes 100% of the time. But I think that what this is saying is that that's exactly not the case. And we're going to talk a little bit more about like putting in the work to, to do comedy later. But uh, if you don't establish, you know, if you don't embrace uh, failure or the potential of failure, then you're never going to practice enough comedy to succeed. I'll be honest, if I get to one in 10 being a good joke, I'll be... I'll be over the moon. <laughs> that is not not where I'm at at the moment, uh, but I'm I'm definitely embracing that failure. Um, and I think yeah, I think you mentioned earlier that some of this is just good life advice. And I think in general, embracing failure can be, or at least taking the positive aspects of failure, and understanding how how you can use those to move forward and do better. When I was thinking about like what what's the problem with failure? Why do most people you know avoid failure and not not take this, uh, you know, take the risks. Uh, a lot of it has to do with with other people, of course, right? You're you're afraid of failing in front of other people. On the other hand, you know, they make the point that if you knew how little people thought about you, <laughs> then you wouldn't worry as much about what they think of you. And and this again is is definitely transferable outside of of comedy. So in, in that vein, uh, I actually um, did an exercise that's in the book. You know, they encourage you to just just be okay with the fact that you're almost always going to fail. Um, and so the exercise was to come up with some funny sports team names. Okay, 
And they gave some examples in the book. And of course, I gravitated towards uh, sports teams, hypothetical sports teams that would have you know, been in places that I'm familiar with. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I did see this and I had an immediate reaction. So the place is Houston and the name of the sports team is the Houston Carjackers. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so for Houston, I had the Houston highways. Okay. All right. So we both went for a road, both went for a road theme. Mine was a yeah. bit more, uh, I think mine was a bit more aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little, little bit more truth in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for, for Omaha, which is, you know, where I, where I grew up, I had the Omaha cowpokes. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, uh, that, that's sort of like the stereotype of, of people in Omaha. You know, when I left the Midwest, you know, uh, to, to go to school and so forth, people would ask me like if I rode a horse to, to go to school. Oh, really? So, and, uh, another place where I've spent a considerable amount of time is, is Beijing, uh, or Beijing. And uh, for for Beijing, I had uh, the Beijing dissidents. Oh, okay. So the, that's something just sprung into my mind, and that is the Beijing bicycles. Oh, that's also good. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of bicycles in Beijing, supposedly. Yeah, and that that used to be even more true. Yeah, yeah but I guess I, the point here is like you really got to give yourself room to be bad, um, and find low stakes way like a like a podcast um, to. <laughs> You practice your your comedy. <laughs> I think I think that's why that's what keeps us coming back to this podcast is knowing how little people <laughs> people think. exactly yeah. a, people can't think of you if they can't hear you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly that's true. Um, but one aspect of this, I think there's so there's some really good stuff that we've said about well, how can you maybe have experiences and live your life in a way that will give you more material and embrace failure but there is a creative aspect as i was discovering today as i was uh thinking about a joke for two hours and not really getting anywhere so what what sort of insight did they did they have into the creative process of of writing yeah. a joke the following thing I, I would argue is not a contradiction so they they say both that you know there there are no rules but on the other hand creativity is problem solving uh, in other words like you need to put in the work uh, if you're going to, you know, have a chance at generating a good product. And as I mentioned previously, you know, the, the comic box, uh, book is filled with, uh, exercises that you can do. And essentially, you know, the argument is the same as with many other types of creative processes. You need to strengthen that muscle. In this case, it's your, your comedy muscle. And depending on the com type of comedy you're doing, that might mean just writing a whole bunch of jokes or writing stories. If you're doing more of a kind of story driven, comedy that, that you mentioned in the last episode. And uh, Judd Apatow mentioned that, you know, he wasn't, he was living, I, I believe in LA at the time, and he wasn't good enough to perform at the places near to where he was living. And so he would drive very far away just to find a place where, you know, he was able to perform for long enough until he, you know, had enough credibility to perform near to where he was actually living, which is, you know, in, in Los Angeles. Good general life advice, I think. Yeah, I think it feels so counterintuitive because, you know, like you, when you're talking to people, like I think when you meet people day to day and you're talking to them, you get an idea of, oh, this person's got a good sense of humor. That person's quite funny. And then it's it's a. I think what you what you sometimes miss is the the gap between sort of that humor in a in a conversation that you just get between friends versus what is professional humor, right? Humor that's going to earn you money. 
And I think there's a massive gap between those two. Um, yeah. That really, this is there, there's, there's another potential misunderstanding here, which is that, uh, you know, people might think like, oh, are you saying it doesn't matter how naturally funny you are? Uh, and I would argue, no, like, you know, all other things being equal, it's probably true that the person, you know, among your two friends, the one that you find to be more naturally funny would have a better chance of succeeding at comedy. But on the other hand, that's a kind of relatively weak determinant, yeah. right? If the if the less funny friend is really obsessed and determined, um, you know, they're they're much more likely to to go farther uh, in the end. Yeah, it's just not a great predictor, say. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and there were even some quite banal, seemingly things that that came up. Um, so, you know, in particular, when you're making a movie, which is a production that involves tons of people, uh, simple time management can be like a very critical skill. And I love highlighting this one because it's something, it's probably the last thing that would come to mind when you think of like, oh, what makes a great comedian? And, uh, you know, being able to manage your time well and other people's time well is, is not something that comes to mind. But on the other hand, like it makes sense after you hear it that uh, it would be very important if you're trying to organize something like making a movie, whether it's a comedy or a drama or a horror movie. Yeah, I can also imagine that it's important when you're at a show. And so s suppose someone comes to you and says, you've got 20 minutes, you actually have 20 minutes to get your material in. And you actually have to be good at making sure you, you do all that. You don't want to leave anything. Um, you don't want to miss anything out just because you're poor at managing your time and delivering that. Yeah, that's right. So there are a couple other practices mentioned, which I thought were interesting and goes to the point of, you know, comedy being a process. They mentioned a, a, a something called a round table. And it's basically, you know, after you've written a comedy, you will invite a whole bunch of other people uh, into the room and you'll read your comedy out loud and just try to improve the story. And so, you know, back in our previous season, we mentioned, we, we talked about um, the process of getting a scientific paper published, right? And so after I've written a paper, I will submit it to an editor at a journal. That editor will send it out to other scientists. And to me, this roundtable just sounds like peer review, hmm. right? You, you get other people in the, involved in the process that you trust and have some you know, experience and credibility, and you just workshop it, basically, um, to try to improve the final product. Yeah, that's. I think I need to find some people to roundtable my my jokes with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but with all things, it's uh, I. It was it was hard. Like you have to um, not be distracted. So something I see that you've written down here is lower your sights, and and this is I think really about concentrating on your work and and not being distracted. So focusing on that work in front of you. That's right. Um... And this is something that I've heard in other contexts as well, which is you should concentrate on the process, not the final product. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in this. You know, it comes up very often in any kind of work that's extended over a long period of time. There's kind of a question of like, how much planning around the final goal should I do versus, uh, you know, how much should I focus on what I'm doing day to day? And, uh, you know, we're both currently in, in data science working as managers and we're having to come up with project plans. And that's a very hard thing to do um, because in the time that it takes to accomplish something, so many other things change and you learn so many new things. 
And so if I had a choice between like having a good project plan that's set in stone months in advance or having a team that works using a good process, in other words, you know, they do what it says here, which is to focus on the work in front of you and to put in the work every day, I'd go for the latter every time. Yeah, in total agreement. Yeah, I don't even I don't even honestly put together project plans anymore. <laughs> Just in the looser sense. But I think if you do have that good process, I think that's uh yeah, that's really valuable. Yeah. So they they round out this first part of the book um by just making the point that so we haven't really talked really about anything about like what makes something funny, right? But without the proper they call it emotional grounding here, all of the tools, right, the particular techniques that you're going to learn later in the book, they're going to be useless uh, if you're not willing to embrace failure, if you're not willing to put in the time, if you don't take the time to find your own voice. These are really kind of the bedrock on which the rest of a successful comedy career is built. Things have obviously changed since the time of Steve Martin. So Steve Martin's been around for a while. Um, I looked up his age. I was shocked. So he's extremely coherent in his master class. And he's 77 years old. And uh, yeah, because he mentioned something about like, you know, already doing work in the 70s. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a long time ago. And yeah, he's 77. He's in really, really great shape. And so like, I guess, I I guess the process was um, different when he was young and he was developing all his skills compared to how people can do it now. Um, Did you find anything about the way... comedy has changed or at least getting your comedy out there and getting seen. Yeah. And, uh, Judd Apatow is making this point that the barriers are so much lower now to, to just making something right. Um, you know, whereas previously you'd need very expensive equipment and lots of people and time you, now you can do the equivalent thing, uh, by recording it on your cell phone and posting it on YouTube, which you can do directly from your cell phone. Right. And the production quality is like essentially equivalent to what you would have gotten from putting in tons of time and money previously. And um, I'm also experiencing this, you know, trying to start a business. There are so many more tools that are available to us now that bring down those barriers. And it's really just up to you to go out and look uh, for them and leverage them, you know, to your own advantage in whatever you're trying to do. I guess the one counter argument to that is that basically all your competitors have the same tools. So you're both, uh, moving forward or advancing at, at the same rate. So whilst you may be able to get your stuff out there easier in front of a wide audience, so can everyone else. Yeah, but I would say it's still a valid point because then what's left, what's left, you know, is it's just skill. Uh, the actual, the comedy, right? Yep. Um, and so it's not that uh, some unfunny person had a lot of money and could, <laughs> I mean, that that effect of course still exists, but uh, you know, it's, it's lessened by the, the ubiquity of these, these tools. It puts people on a more even footing, say it doesn't matter if yeah. you're, if you're a cowpoke in, uh, in Omaha who has, who's playing in front of a crowd of like 10 or someone in yeah. LA who's playing in front of a crowd, crowd of a hun- of hundreds. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think that, you know, we've hopefully painted a pretty realistic picture of, you know, all of, well, some of the things that it takes to succeed. And it sounds like a lot of work. Um, and so, you know, you were doing a little bit of research for us into, you know, uh, things that might potentially motivate people to actually put in the, the necessary work um, around the, you know, the business of comedy. And what did you learn about, uh, you know, what comedians are, are bringing in these days and how the landscape has changed? 
So this is very much around um, the business side. So something that's been happening recently is that, well, Netflix it had been putting a huge amount of money in um, stand-up comedy. And one of the reasons was that the production of stand-up comedy is still cheaper than, say, the production of sitcoms or other types of uh, media. So it's actually quite good for investors. It was quite good um, bang for the buck. And it was also good for stand-up comedians. So this was in particular, um, I was looking, I was trying to get some numbers on how much stand-up comedians earned in 2019. And it's always one of these where, you know, this is really the tale of the distribution. These people are out there earning huge amounts of of money and they've they've got to the top of the game. But uh, in 2019, Kevin Hart was the highest earning stand-up comedian with a uh, income of $59 million, which is pretty massive. Um, and second was Jerry Seinfeld with $41 million. So we're really talking big numbers. Um, and Aziz Ansari was number 10 with $13 million from his stand-up comedy. I mean, I think all all these people have other routes as well. So Kevin Hart makes movies. I think Seinfeld has earned so much from royalties off Seinfeld. Um, and Aziz Ansari has got um, TV shows or shows on, on Netflix. So this is just one element of their earning. But there is, for those that become successful, there is clearly quite a lot of money to be made. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking through this list now, and there are certainly some names on here that I don't even recognize that are making tens of millions of dollars. So maybe we have different comedy knowledge, but Sebastian Maniscalco. I also don't know Sebastian. Yeah. This is a Forbes list, by the way. So yeah, that's where that information is from. Terry Fader. No idea. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard that name before or not, but, uh, it seems that, that not every, but these, you don't need to be world renowned. Um, not that me and Nick are the best people for knowing stand up comedians, but you know, they, they definitely have the, the people that they play to and they, they earn quite a lot of money from it. I do actually have a joke, Nick. Oh, okay. Great. We get to cap off the episode with the, yeah, so this is my uh, this is some of my uh, l- learning to fail. Hopefully, in a few years' time, I'll be raking in the big bucks. But okay, the joke is this. Uh, uh, well, let's say to start off with, I definitely have a type of joke, and it's I was trying to write a different type of joke because last week's joke was more around wordplay, and I don't think that's the I don't you know it's not gonna it's not a joke that's gonna actually help help hone your craft. That's a pretty weak size type of joke. But I was trying a different one. Um, although it's still not, I would say anything. There, there are no wrong answers here. Don't worry. Here we go. All right. Yeah. It was just caveat and everything you see. I was, I was <laughs> rambling cause I got nervous, but I'm not okay. sure you have the, the, the will to risk yet. But <laughs> you can work on it. Okay. Which sea animal is the thief of the oceans? I don't know. The crab, because it's always pinching things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's a joke. <laughs> so, so uh, I wonder if there's a, so is, is pinch in America, is it, is it understood, understood as if someone pinches something, does it mean like steal something? Can it be understood like that? Huh. Um, I kind of thought you meant like just kind of like being cheap, but uh, to pinch is to to steal. 
Oh, so it can be used that way in the UK. Oh my goodness, I keep falling into these traps. Well, this this could just be my problem here. Let's see. Um, trying to see whether um, I should have known that definition of the word. I can't tell if it's just like a something that's used. There, there was a lot of um, discussion, which I you know I didn't remember to bring up just now, but there was a lot of discussion about making sure that your audience has the same points of reference as you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and making jokes that are appropriate to the situation. So maybe, you know, it, it sounds like in the future, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit more consideration of like, you know, I'm talking to an American person with a limited vocabulary. Um, so the, the, the thing is, I, I don't even realize, like, I, I, I need to start thinking about that aspect of it because it doesn't even cross my mind when I'm writing the joke. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm seeing here the informal... Uh, definitions of pinch include to steal um, and then also to arrest. Yeah, so a, a copper can pinch someone. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was definitely playing on that informal, uh, yeah, pinching. They're always pinching things. Excellent. Well, if nothing else, I appreciate the effort. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. One, one point for trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A second point for failing. Excellent. I certainly feel like I learned a lot and, and also, you know, really, as I mentioned at the top, got the impression that you can kind of study how to do many things well. And, you know, many of the things that you will learn will be transferable to other things you might be interested in. Um, so in addition to sort of humor being directly useful, I just like getting the perspective of people who have thought a lot about how to do something well, um, because you never know, you know, where it might be handy. Yeah, I, I found it really, just really, it was good to see that there's so much work that goes into it. Um, it did my self-confidence a world of good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week with more on